This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. One, two, one, two, three, five! It's KC time! You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Met, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 124 and it's Masters of Dragon Gate Volume 3. And today I am joined once again by one of the hosts of the Open the Voice Gate podcast, which is also on the VOW network as well as one of the hosts of the Everything Elite podcast, which is not on the network anymore. It's Mike Spears. Hello again, Mike. Hey, y'all. It's Mike. I'm glad to be back here. I feel like now we could almost have like a three-disc set of these episodes now. Well, that would be in line with the three-disc set of the new Dragon Gate album, Open the Music Gate 2021, which uh, we were talking about beforehand here, and it's like... Um, what 6600 yen you told me it's a racket which is about 60 bucks in american dollars it's it's crazy mike yeah and it's something that like i used to get the dragon gate record albums and it would always be 25 dollars for a cd and then you would have to add in shipping and everything like that and 6600 for uh i have looked before at the track listing for this one a lot of it is there's a lot of new stuff on there. Like, don't get me wrong, and especially some stuff that would be hard to find otherwise. But you're also getting stuff like how many times are they going to have put the uh, Nesca theme on there, or uh, the one of the songs we're going to be talking about today, the William Tell Overture. They have this on here, so I mean, <laughs> like, they're starting to really pad these out in a way that it is kind of it is kind of entertaining to see. Like, I wonder how many uh, albums at this point now have the same version of Dragonfly, Rio Saito's theme at this point, <laughs> but 6,600, I mean, one thing you can't say about Dragon Gate, you cannot say that they will, that they leave money on the table, but I imagine that this, that this is going hot at your local Tower Records in Japan. They, they still exist, Andrew, Tower Records in Japan. Well, I don't doubt that at all. Not at all, no. Um, but yeah, like with New Japan, they'll put the Rainmaker theme on every album pretty much, but it's usually just that. And it's a new remix or whatever. But yeah, with, with Dragon Gate, every album is like, you know, here's Dragon Kid's theme. Here's Ryo Saito's theme. Kinesis' theme. And it's like, okay, we've gotten those on every album pretty much. Can you just put the new stuff on the new one and lower the price perhaps? But I guess it's not how they do it, Mike. You know, uh, the, this is one of the ways that Dragon Gate, the largest uh, independent promotion in Japan... They don't have a conglomerate behind them. This is one of the ways that they always are able to, you know, during these times as we now approach 24 months under COVID in Japan, they 
they know that one of the big things that they do is that their fans will go and buy the merchandise. They will go and buy it. They don't care if this has Yokosuka liner for the 10th time, but they'll go and buy it anyways. They'll go have it. I mean, did you see Dragon Gate was one of the first companies to bring back doing fan photos? Like, they are that committed to the hustle. And I have to be honest, 6,600 yen is kind of gross, but the hustle, you got to respect it. It's pro wrestling, baby. It's it's a whole industry just built on hustling and swindling. But but then again, you know, what isn't in this day and age, you know, Mike? And in these trying times, you got to always be hustling to, you know, keep your head afloat, I guess. Absolutely. I know that. Yeah. Well, anyway, Mike, uh, we are here, as per tradition when you're on, to, of course, talk about some more Dragon Gate themes. Uh, this is Masters of Dragon Gate Volume 3, a nice grab bag of various themes in the company right now. And since the last time you were on the show, Mike, um, some notable things have happened in Dragon Gate. Uh, first of all, the retirement of Masato Yoshino, which was a very you know emotional moment. And it is a shame that it had to happen at all, of course, but he got a great send-off, and now he's going to just run his gym and watch some baseball, Mike, I suppose. So, you know, good for him. Yeah, he has a gym set up in Kobe. I guess he's still living in Kobe. And he's just, it's something that is actually kind of funny because he was one of the original, like, we're not getting on social media. He refused to. And the day after he retired, uh, Jim Seat Speedstar opened up and he had an Instagram <laughs> account. And it's it, it's something that, you, you know, at least for Dragon Gate fans, uh, 2021 will always be remembered as the year of Speedstar's retirement. And he was such like a distinct kind of personality, a lot in the ways that you would see. I would argue before the advent of social media that that there's a detachment, right? Like, like he's just he's calm, cool, collected, and that just kind of was a thing. But now we get like this interesting kind of look into his life now. That for 20 years previous, like, like frankly, like one of the things that Case and I w- would speculate about before the retirement is like, will we get to see Masato Yoshino's family at the retirement? No, we didn't. But we do get now get to see him putting together like gym machines, which is really <laughs> fascinating to me be funny if he posted a photo he's got eight kids what the hell i didn't i didn't know this <laughs> hey it that that would have been like i was actually going like i wonder how this is going to go with this no instead they had like three different uh japanese baseball players send him videos and someone bring him a bouquet nothing about family whatsoever <laughs> i respect it like he is the one black coffee for wrestling so yeah of course he didn't have like this he, he he keeps things private and i respect that highly definitely definitely yeah um the second thing is that there's a new sheriff in town in Dragon Gate, and wouldn't you know it, it's Rio Saito, of all people. He is the new GM of the company, making the matches, making decisions, laying down the law. Uh, he, he's basically like the Richard Splett of Dragon Gate, <laughs> for any uh, Veep fans out there. This, this amiable guy who somehow has risen up the ranks into power, and I gotta say, Mike, the Saito administration has been a lot of fun to watch. You know, I think he's doing a great job. You know, it, it, it's something that Ryo Saito, for his career leading up to this, he would not be the person that anyone would expect to kind of be any sort of a authority figure. I mean, this is a guy that was in a years-long, like, until they both retire, a feud with Don Fuji over bicycles. So... The fact that Ryo Saito is now laying down the law and something that he's done that involves a couple of the people that we'll be talking about today 
is the thing that he's done recently is if people are acting kind of a fool or they're going like oh this isn't enough here Saito I want more give me more competition he will just send hordes of rookies out after him like he has rookies as beck and call he just gestures to the back and you see six kids run out and just completely either like throw someone out of ringside or get up on the ring saying that they're going to fight people so a Richard Splett is kind of a rise, but I'm wondering if he's going to kind of become like Tammany Hall. He's going to become like a local political boss with his goon squad out there. But it, it, it's fascinating, and it's a whole lot of fun, and it's something that with Dragon Gate, with Dragon Gate fans, and especially like Navely, like having someone like that who's obviously winding down, you know, still appear on screen, always show up in his suit, and just lay down the law i i have to say general manager rio saito you're doing a great job because everyone appreciates it <laughs> and uh thirdly and this is the wildest of them all i think uh dragon daya lost his mask uh they did the apuestas tag match with shun skywalker and daya versus diamante and daya inferno and whoever lost the fall would lose their mask and at the end shun was on the ropes Diamante was advancing, and Daya stood in the way to protect Shun, but then Shun just straight up pushed Daya into Diamante's finisher, and he lost the match and his mask. And people, you know, afterwards were like, well, Shun's mask was askew, he couldn't see, and then Shun just goes, uh, no, I pushed him on purpose <laughs> to protect my mask, but we're still cool, right? You know, masquerade bros and all that? It's, it's a very strange turn of events, Mike. Yeah, so it's compounding uh, Dragon Daya. We've talked about him on previous uh, Masters of Dragon Gate episode. And he was the heir to Dragon Kid, who was the heir of Ultimo Dragon. So, I mean, the third generation dragon and Dragon Gate. And one would think before December 1st that those are like the, like the most surefire bets in the Puesas matches are that the uh, dragon is going to retain and you're not going to have them lose their mask. And instead they had easily the most shocking apuestas result in the company's uh, 22 year history if not just the mo- the biggest surprise in recent memory is at least in the ring and it, it's really added something to this end of 2021 because the specter of masato yoshino still lingers in a lot of ways and it's something that like it, I wouldn't say it's an uneasy time. It's just a it's a different time, and people are still like coming to grips of it. And now you have this rather just insane storyline where uh, a dragon loses his mask. The person that causes him to lose his mask isn't his opponents. It's his unit leader who was really not a part of this feud, but was kind of interjected in over the last few weeks. And now all of Masquerade is just furious with Shun Skywalker. Shun Skywalker coming back like like with within like the last 13 months he's had a really kind of interesting return from excursion like becoming dreamgate champion starting his own unit really kind of carving a path throughout the year making himself if you're a work rate awards person he's someone that deserves consideration at least for like most outstanding and then instant and then inserts himself into like the biggest like storyline in dragon gate since uh yoshino's retiring because it's there's a lot of fallout there and it's something that's not going to easily be tied up it'll be something that i think will linger deep into 2022 mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think i and everyone else watching just assumed that inferno 
was going to be the one to lose the mask, which he did anyway after the match. He took it off willingly and, you know, and revealed it's Yuki Yoshioka. Surprise, surprise. But Daya losing the mask was, yeah, an absolute just shock, you know, because like you said, Mike, you know, he's supposed to be the protege of Dragon Kid, who's the protege of Ultimo Dragon, and and that, that bloodline, quote-unquote, they don't lose their masks, but Daya did. And and to be fair, he's a good-looking boy. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. this, is, <laughs> this is not an Ultimo Guerrero situation here at all, but still, Mike, you know, a dragon without their mask is, is, is just weird, you know? Yeah, and it's the, the other thing for, like, Shun Skywalker was that him and Yoshioka, for those who don't know, they went on an excursion in the worst time to do an excursion in the middle of COVID, and he Skywalker was convinced that Yoshioka was not Daya Inferno. Everyone else knew it was Daya Inferno. Last month, before the Apuestas match, he got unmasked and it was very clear that just confirming everyone what everyone knew already, but Shun Skywalker was being deliberately obtuse to the point of texting him and saying, you're not Daya Inferno, right? And then and then Yoshioka saying, no, I am still in Mexico, <laughs> which uh, it, it, it's a wild time. And the fact that then Yoshioka just unmasked himself voluntarily because his goal was done. And it's something that as we're recording it, there's the uh, the next Corkin of the month. They only do monthly. They, they do monthly Corkins outside of January and December. And there's a lot of fallout that's going to be happening on Wednesday. And it's going to be really fascinating to see because both Yoshioka and the former Dragon Dai have been off cards since the uh, Apuesas match. So it, it, it's something that is lingering. And as I said, it's going to take a while to shake out. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to these themes here. Uh, we have 10 on the list today. And we're going to start off with the man we just talked about, Shun Skywalker, leader of Masquerade former Dreamgate champion. Uh, Shun's theme is by Toyokazu Ogata. It's called Fly Over the Sky. So with a title like Fly Over the Sky, you're expecting a song that soars and feels up and bombastic, and this song definitely evokes those feelings. It has this uh, heroic power to it as well, this drive. It makes for a very exciting and uplifting entrance theme, for sure, that it has some oomph to it as well, especially for a character like Shun, who, you know, he's not your typical... I'm a badass motherfucker fighter guy like Okuda or Benkei are, but he's also not like, I'm a superhero good guy, everybody, hello! Like, he embodies elements of both, I think, and he, he toes that line of being the cool badass and the colorful hero. 
So I think this song represents that duality quite well. Like, yeah, and it's something that they released an English version of it this year, and the lyrics for the English version are very fascinating. It's almost very much, and I know we've talked about this before, Andrew, very much like an anime uh, <laughs> theme song in a way, like an interest video, because it lays it out very clearly, like, and it kind of tells the story of Shun's like last 24 months, and it, it, it's it's a fascinating song for a pretty fascinating wrestler. Because you like you look at him, and within Dragon Gate, he's one of the lankier, taller guys. But he does basically everything. He flies over the sky. His his catchphrase for the longest time was Skywalk, and everything was based around the Skywalker moonsault. He comes back and suddenly starts kicking people's heads off, like does spinning power bombs in a way, and it just in, in a way it kind of like shows like evolutions in a way that you would see like your Goku in Dragon Ball Z, you know, powering up, going Super Saiyan level thirty-seven. Or whatever, and I, I, I've always like like the song. It's one of the songs that, with like Masquerade, it very much fit because you had like Daya's theme, which is which was very reminiscent. And there's kind of a, a similarity between the two of them there. And I always kind of find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thankfully there is an English version of this song because um, I can't find the lyrics to the Japanese one anywhere online. And looking at the lyrics, you know, they do touch upon again these these soaring heroic overtones fly over the sky, it's so magical, flying through infinity, and it also touches on overcoming adversity by herself. Endless nights, feel the world crashing down on me, no one showed up to rescue me, all I've got just to make it through, morning comes, nothing changes to the day I see, I'm the maker of destiny, going straight to the top if you want it. And before Masquerade, before Excursion, Shun was this lone wolf of sorts, with Ben K as an occasional tag partner. He was kind of on his own for the most part, so it works in that context. But it also works in the context of just being like a proper grade-A top good guy theme. And the fact that he's had it since 2018 as well, I think it does kind of show that the company saw him as this future star, as this top guy, all the way back then. Um, At least to me, Mike, you know? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's something where it Dragon Gate kind of has an, has a bit sometimes of who is the main character right now. And this is a main character theme. And with the exception of Benke out of his class, he was the first one to get the theme. He was like the highlighted person out of the class. If you take Benke out, because Benke was a special case because he was older and they were very clearly had like plans for Benke as we've seen over the last few years. Like they had plans and now... Maybe they still have plans for him, but maybe not. But Shun very much is someone that like became slowly but surely becomes a main character, and then he becomes the guy that comes back at the end, ex- end of Excursion, comes back, first match back, wins the Dreamgate title, goes on an absolute tear, and it just really fits him. It, it's something that with this like masquerade drama that's happening right now, it's fascinating because now we're starting to see like other sides of him and I wouldn't say that I I would expect him to go heel immediately but this is not a heels theme and it'll be interesting to see if they go down that route well how they change it how they adapt it whereas they clearly adapt people other people's themes here or or in case he gets like a brand new theme I don't know but it's a theme that very much screams I'm the main character pay attention to me yeah 
Yeah, I'm, I imagine a heel theme would go, crawl under the ground, crawl under the ground, just to hit the opposite mark there, you know? <laughs> Shove my friend into losing his mask. <laughs> a, a little wordy, I think, but we can workshop it there, perhaps. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, One more thing about this song, actually, and I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but Dragon Kid's theme opens with Dragon Kid Fly Into the Sky, this is all about flying over the sky, and to me, that, that sort of implies that Shun will exceed the accomplishments of his predecessors. And that's a very lofty goal, I know, but you know, considering he won the Dreamgate in his first match backroom excursion, he's already a great wrestler, and he's only 25 years old as well. You know, knock on wood, Mike, if he stays healthy, he could be a major player in this company for a very long time to come. Absolutely. He's someone that and that kind of embodies the ongoing generational movement that's within Dragon Gate. They have put out a some. If you're someone like me who is staring down the barrel of middle age, and you see a promotion now that's debuting people that weren't alive when Dragon Gate formed, or now we're getting we're getting close to the time that was 2022 on uh right ahead of us, 19 days away as of time recording. People who might not have been alive when Dragon Gate split from Toriumon, and it, it it it's sickening. It, it's something that's like, all right, I was a little happy this year that they debuted someone who was in their late twenties. Just made me feel just a slight bit younger in a way. I'm like, <laughs> all right, there we go. Let's do it for the uh, doing it for the old boys out here. Let's do that there. But yeah, no, it's something that. You, you like look at him and with like flying like taking to the skies is such like a central part of just the style of pro wrestling there embodied by dragon kid talking about uh talking about his theme music and then like his is like going to the cosmos and then he went to the cosmos and brought back Estrella there so it fits in a lot of ways for sure for sure Moving on now to our next wrestler here, and uh, this is the former Bravegate champion, Keisuke Okuda, a member of High End and occasional MMA fighter as well. Okuda's theme is by Shinpei, and the title is the same as his nickname. This is Mr. Danger Zone. expecting Kenny Loggins, please go somewhere else, because this is not the place for that. Um, first of all, what a great name, Mr. Danger Zone. It sums up Okuda so well, as does this theme, you know, from the jump, with that opening drum fill into the ref. And all this great, badass guitar work all throughout the song. It never lets up, so it's it's so fitting for Okuda. 
who absolutely does lean into being that badass fighter 100%. I mean, you know, there are no lyrics here about overcoming adversity and, and being a hero. No, it's just intensity the entire way through. And that's Akuta's style, Mike. He is a very intense fellow to an alarming degree, I think. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call him the book-learning type. I, I don't think he thinks things through before he commits to things as his MMA career lately can attest to. But the, the thing that gets me with like the drum fill into the roaring guitar in a way is this is a song that, at least to me, very much would not be out of place in like Street Fighter. Like this is like a fighting, this is like a fighting game stage music, and it kind of fits like Keisuke Akuda, who in a lot of ways, the more I kind of think about it, and this has popped in my head, Andrew. So just just come along on the ride here. Maybe we get to the destination, maybe not. He does feel like in a lot of ways the most uh, Street Fighter pro wrestler possible because it's all about like punches and kicks. Yeah, he's not throwing fireballs or you know summoning like bands of energy with his hands but he's very much like a no-nonsense ass kicker that would not be out of any sort of uh he, he would look out look strange if you put Keisuke Akuta's Mr. Danger Zone somehow into Super Street Fighter 2. You know it's funny um all this talk of him being a street fighter and a badass and all that I did notice that there's a slight shift when it hits the refrain it goes up and has this like classic uh, heroic touch to it in a way. So it does color Okuda as a guy who is a fighter, who is very intense and aggressive, but he's also a good guy. And he fights with respect and honor and all that, which, which he is. And that's interesting because later on, when we get to Kai's theme, it'll kind of be the opposite in that sense, Mike. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something that like that bridge makes sense also when you like take another step back from Akuda and you like you look at who he is kind of as a personality he's someone that very much is very forward focused like he if you go to his Instagram if you're someone that cares about streetwear Keisuke Akuda is always looking very clean on Instagram and he's someone that like made it his goal as a Dragon Gate wrestler and one of the reasons why he does these MMA fights even though his record might not show that he's super competitive in them as of late, because he's he's very public-facing. He thinks that he's someone that could help bring Dragon Gate more into the public consciousness, like public culture. And, you know, the, 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 that's something that a that good guy does. A bad guy like Kai does not care about raising the prestige of a promotion. He cares about just tormenting Yamato. So I, I think you're dead on about this. Like, there is a heroic refrain to this song. Right, right. Yeah, I mean... There's not much else to analyze about this one, because um, again, it's very straightforward and there are no lyrics. But I think for Akuda, that's very much a good thing because you know that that fits his rather blunt wrestling style. He doesn't need any other accoutrements, really. Um, in fact, I remember a few months ago, he came out for a match and he had this guy wrapping him to the ring, and he was lip syncing, and it was just it didn't feel right at all. It was very awkward. Like like KZ can have that, and it works out for him well, you know, both both gimmick and and vibe wise. But Okuda, you know, this theme is perfect. Anything else is just off, Mike. Yeah, that was very kind of bizarre. Like he he is someone that like well, like one of the things that KZ and I have talked about is he seems to be like one of the most friendly guys because he always has like he has a K1 fighter coming out with him he has rappers coming and doing themes for him Gact at one point yeah yeah oh Gact yeah Gact wanted to wrestle in Dragon Gate 
he wanted to do a match, but everyone's like, we don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but like, he's just like a very uh, public facing person. He, it, it would be, he'd be a great person to be a friend, be friends with, or at least network with, but it does not always come out like the right way. Like I completely forgot about him having the rappers coming to the ring during uh Kobe world week. And that was bizarre. That was weird. Hmm. Let's move on from that, uh, shall we, and go to our next wrestler here. And this is uh, the Black Panther himself, Hio. And that's H.Y.O, to be specific. Hio is one-third of the current Open the Triangle Gate champions, member of R.E.D., uh, the Great Brain, as he is known, or as Mike once called him, the Bobby Hill of Dragon Gate, with his uh, many groin kicks. Hio's theme is by the band King Ons. This is called... Fire, fire. Maintaining the hard edge here, uh, with uh, King Ons leaning more a uh, more of a pop punk direction, I think, with the shouty vocals and whatnot, um, and that's fine because Hio is a little punk and R.E.D. You know, um, I will say though, there is one facet of this song that has always gotten my attention, and it's the line "Hey Black Panther, fuck away," which they say a lot in this song, and I'm not the prudish type at all, Mike, but. That can be construed as uh, quite the tawdry line in some contexts, I think, Mike. <laughs> yeah, and especially for a promotion that now it has been around for so long, and you have people who went to Tori Mon shows in 1999, bringing their kids down to the ring, uh, kids down to the show, and you're hearing about the, this guy that is saying fuck away. It, it's kind of a little bit discordant, there's a little bit of disconnect there at times. But, yeah, like, you brought the pop-pop thing, and the thing that kind of gets me about this song is it has a little bit of, like, oi to it, and it's a little bit, like, you can see people pogoing around with this, and, you know, if anyone in Dragon Gate would be likely to embody the hardcore movement, it would not be Hyo, but it is kind of a nice, like, little edge that you don't really would think you would feel this sort of influence in Japanese pro wrestling themes, but... It works for him, and the same way that he's really taken the uh, the fact that when he was uh, under his real name, Hyo Watanabe, the kanji for Hyo is the same as Panther, and he's kind of, that's why he's always like referred to as like Panther, Black Panther, he's had Panther print tights, and it, it just kind of like all fits like the overall like theme and vibe of him. Right, right. I mean, the line does make sense, I think, in the context of like fucking over, because... You know, Hyo as the great brain, always coming up with schemes and plots to fuck over the good guys and cheat and whatnot. Um, I think it was like during King of Gate, actually, that he just wanted to get double countouts 
so the other guys would get like zero points, and it worked. Like, he's just this little annoying punk fucker that's just a massive nuisance who just dicks people over all the time. You know, yeah, if you think about it in that context, it does come off a little bit less naughty, I'd say, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, he is the person that, because he operates on a higher brain wavelength than everyone else, he has ideas such as, I'm going to immediately bring you to the outside, we're going to get double count out because I might not get any points out of this, but you're sure as heck aren't either. And it, it, it's something that over like the last seven months, this was a guy that really the Bobby Hill like going and kicking low and getting roll-ups out of it was like the biggest aspect to him other than him just being like a little asshole. But now that he is the great brain and he's like calculating in a way and he's doing stuff like going for ring outs, trying to interject himself in certain ways, trying to be the great strategist. And, you know, sometimes Ryo Saito has to go send out the kids to go take this guy away from ringside because he just, his ideas aren't always like the best ideas for business, but no one's operating on a higher wavelength right now than Hio. Mm, great dancer too, I must say. Pretty great dancer. Um, I tried to make sense of the other lyrics in this song as well, uh, but uh, the Google Translate was a little bit wonky. Now it's the street of the Black Panther. Come on, kneel down. Cut the wind in a crimson fake body. Crimson noise, pierce it deep. A jet black rose blooming in the dark night. Put it on the asphalt. So lots of talk about black and red, which is which is his color scheme. Black Panther, you know, kneel down. That stuff, you can sort of, you know, see what they're going for there. Besides that, though, it's a bit wonky to really decipher, I think, for me. But um, I think in this case, you know, all the yelling and the anger are enough because Hyo's just, a, you know, an angry little dude, Mike. Yeah, and it makes sense that he has this anger in his punk and actually kind of works in with the guy we talked in previously, uh, Keisuke Akuda. He was the person that kind of forced Hyo into turning heel, to, to leaving Mochizuki Dojo and joining R.E.D. all those years ago. So all the anger like bottled up in a guy that was clearly being passed over by the new shiny object by Mochi. It, it lines up. Maybe Google Translate. Maybe they are watching their 2018-2019 Dragon Gate shows. I don't know. But <laughs> it, it, it kind of works. Like, like maybe, maybe this is the one time that machine translation is actually like working out for the better and not just being like kind of funny. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Up next, it's another Masquerade guy. This is Jason Lee, former twin and Triangle Gate champion, former Cruiserweight Classic competitor in WWE as well, way back when. And uh, Jason's theme is by our old buddy, Yohei. It's called Chase on the Breath.
I have to laugh, Mike, uh, because Jason Lee is Chinese. He's from Hong Kong. And uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about American wrestling companies giving East Asian wrestlers stereotypical music. You know, the traditional East Asian music and whatnot. But here you have Dragon Gate, a Japanese company, and Jason's theme starts with... Now... I'm not saying they're being malicious with this, but it's just, it's funny to me that, you know, even in Japan, that kind of stuff still happens, Mike. Yeah, it, it's a case of othering that, I, I, I don't know if it's malicious, I don't think it's malicious like you're saying, it, it's just very much, and for him, uh, he's someone that, I mean, he is a Hong Konger, he's natively, uh, he's Chinese Hong Konger, and, uh, He's only recently like started doing promos in Japanese in a way, so like it, it's he, he's in a very unique spot, and it's kind of different because he is like most of Dragon Gate's gaijin traditionally are either from like Western Europe, America, or Mexico. So like it the, the, that's one thing, but he was someone that in the before times they really started to like expand into Hong Kong and. Jason Lee was like the big focus of it. Like they kind of discovered him. I, I don't know if it was something that I've never really ever heard. Like how they really got Jason Lee in this promotion. It's it, it's something that's worked out insanely well. I mean, he's someone that Case likes to say it, that is the best junior heavyweight working in Japan right now. But it, it's something that like there is always going to. It feels like, and it, I don't know if it's necessarily malicious or it's done. Like to intentionally be like, oh, this is the Hong Kong guy. You need to like pay attention to him because he's different. But it, it's something that's gonna be kind of attached to. Like he he has dropped some of like he would do some uh, moves that I would say would be out of like a Shaw Brothers film maybe. Like especially like doing like just doing the strikes like leading to like the the, the fist shot that he then like screams after, but. It's just something that, like, he used to always have nunchucks out there, and it, it's something that it connects them to the fans, and it's something that it's really over the last few years he's become incredibly popular. But it, it it's interesting though the fact that you have this happen so much in internationally in the West or in Europe, but now you're starting to see actually this happening in Japan in the same time. I mean, don't get me wrong; I think it's a good theme, regardless. You know, it has this nice rock electronica mix there with a lot of energy and, and that east asian flair thrown in there as well with the, the flute sounds and whatnot so it it does fit jason well i think and and in all seriousness you know even with the opening melody it's not like this is the orient express theme where the whole song is just screaming he's chinese do you get it like it, it's more about i think the energy and the speed and all that and and the east asian stuff is just more like flavoring i think because because character wise there's not much to him i don't think he's more of just a, a plucky good guy who does martial arts so his theme is going to be more about his style than his character i'd say mike oh yeah no it, it's something that like in a way it's it was really important for him to kind of have like like hey this is a guy that's going to be a little different you know he is from hong kong he will do some some stereotypical like kung fu kind of stuff like his nickname is the kung fu dragon like it's something that they do kind of play upon with that a lot and his character yeah it, it he it, i don't want to say like he's very just 
complain in his character. It's just his character. He's just a solid wrestler who, you know, is a great tag team partner. He's incredibly faithful to his partners. When we were talking about Dragon Daya losing his mask, he was the first one there glaring, like staring bullets into Shun Skywalker. Like Shun Skywalker, there's a lot of drama to be had there and probably a really solid match between Jason Lee and Shun Skywalker, but he's a very kind of faithful person. And this is something that like it, it the high energy and, and with all of that kind of embodies that in a way, like it fits him very well. And it, it, it's not hitting you overhead. Like it's not like the Orient Express name. It's not like the original, uh, Kai and Tai theme in WWF that you're just like, Oh geez. Like this is, hmm. this is a lot. This it, it has like the, the little singer, and like it does keep a little bit of the beat going through it, but then it quickly gets to like this very good babyface theme. Right, right, and and I have to admit this too. Um, I only just realized the other day the pun in the title, "Chase on, Jason." Like it's right there the entire oh, wow. time in front of me. Um, wait, did I just blow your mind too, Mike? Yeah, you just clued me in on that. I did not think about that whatsoever. Oh wow, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was just like one of those like translations that you know. Maybe, you know, the, there is the idea of, like, English in Japan where, like, they will take words that sound neat or, like, evoke a feeling that without, like, thinking about meaning there. But I did not think about Jason Chase on before you just mentioned that. That just, you're blowing my mind this afternoon. I know, I know. Just the, the Eric Wareheim <sighs> gif <laughs> between the both of us there. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um Anyway, uh, theme number five, and uh, you know most of the wrestlers on this list here today, Mike, are are younger guys, they're newer guys, but this guy is an old Toriyaman favorite. It's Shachi Hoko Boy, good pal of Masato Yoshino, air guitar master, Monster Express alumnus, and his theme is by Mito Hananosuke. It's called Melody on the Lips, Fangs on the Heart. If I could describe this song, I'd say it was Dragon Gate's version of Got My Mind Set On You by George Harrison, because it's a very upbeat song, but uh, lyrically, not the most verbose song in the world either. Uh, the lyrics are, melody on the lips, fangs in the heart. And that's it. Those are the only lyrics in the entire song. And I don't know what they mean, really, to be honest, but you know what? It doesn't matter, because... The song just sounds like a really fun time, and I still enjoy it. And that's Shachi Hoko Boy, Mike. He's not going to get pushed in any way whatsoever, but he's just a super fun guy, and whenever I see him, I enjoy him, Mike. Yeah, and he's someone that, with the Generation Shift, he never really was super featured leading up until 
basically after Monst after uh, Junction Three and Blood Warriors, and this was a guy that like yeah, he's a contemporary of Masato Yoshino. He's one of Masato Yoshino's closest friends. So for we're talking about like eleven years of his career, he was a guy, and then he was very featured for like five years, and now he's back to being a guy, and you only really see him when they do big shows or when they ever have a battle royal. Which is great because you get to hear the song and you get to see Sachi just rock out to this. Like he will jump up and there was one battle royal. I don't ever forget which month, but they do monthly battle royals in their hometown show. Just, just get everyone on the show. But they would have it. They always have it set up like Royal Rumble style. So like every, I think it's 90 seconds, someone comes out. Actually, it's every minute. Every minute someone comes out and Sachi would just dance around the ring, play air guitar, scream out his, or mouth out his theme, and then go back to it. At one time, he kept on doing this for like a full minute. So we got to hear the entire theme song. And it's very jolly. It's very, it's very sprightly. And it kind of fits a guy that, you know, he is just kind of a, just a faithful friend, good guy. And he represents the Nagoya Castle of this, the Sachi Hoko, which is the, no, he's not. That's Shisa's Nagoya Castle. He represents the Riku Islands because he's from. He's not from Okinawa. He's from Okayama, which is part of the Riku Kyushu region, Japan. And it's just kind of like just jaunty, just just very pleasant. And you know, did the the you don't really need the lyrics there. You just really need to see Sachi. You know, maybe maybe his career post this is going to be him doing the air guitar world championship. I feel like that he <laughs> might be able to be a wild card from the East Asia region. If so, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, as far as this song goes, it's a very curious one, I think, because first of all, melody on the lips, fangs on the heart, those being the only lyrics is quite strange. Cause it's not saying like, I'm going to beat you up. I'm the best on repeat. You know, it's something more obscure and metaphorical than that. So that's a little bit confusing there. Um, and to top that off, there's a sing-along too. You know, da, 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 oh yeah, oh yeah. Like the structure of this song is fascinating to me. Um, but then again, look at Chachihoko Boy. The gimmick is based on the Chachihoko, which is an animal from Japanese folklore that has the head of a tiger and the body of a carp. Right. He has that little fish tail on his on his mask, right? So the peculiar mix there of the animals, it, it does mirror the peculiar mix of the song, Mike, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. No, I forgot it was the carp and lion. That which is the same thing of like Shisa, like I got confused with those two. Those two are kind of tied with each other with like character wise, but it's based off that and the other thing about like Melody on the lips that kinda works, he has uh I've never heard how it happened to him. But he has the uh, similar thing of uh, Tomaki Hama with the uh, crushed larynx and vocal cords that he has a very kind of weak voice, very scratchy voice. So the fact that like the melody on his lips, you know, the sing-along portion, whereas the fangs on the heart is like with the, the harshness of his voice whenever he does talk, it's very scratchy, it's very faint. And that's the thing that they kind of play up to with him, that he will try to get the crowd at least in the pre in the before times, get them quiet down. So everyone can hear him shout, you know, scream from the heart, you know, melody on the lips. It, 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 there's a nice bit of synchronicity with it, I would say. Right. Well, well, you bring up his voice. I mean, it's pretty obvious then that 
he's not the one singing this song because <laughs> the singer here is very kind of you know higher pitched and nasally and if he sang it it'd be more like a, a tom waits song i guess there mike so <laughs> there you go <laughs> could he do lulu C- could we have like a version of him covering the metallica lou reed album lulu Please don't mention that album. I I can't stand that fucking thing. I hate that album so much. <laughs> oh, Lulu, goddamn. Um, but I tell you, I what I do like though is the sing along in this song because a it's very catchy, and b it does you know going back to the fans, Mike, it does give it a communal element too because Shachiogo Boy, his role is that of an underdog that people like to rally behind. I mean, I remember, you know, the team with him and Yoshino as Twin Gate champions. People were going nuts for him in those matches. So, you know, this sing-along is a nice way to touch on that, Mike. Oh, absolutely. There was a time that with him and Masato Yoshino, Amigo Tag, when they were Twin Gate champions, where in Monster Express, there was a time period that an argument could be made that he was the most popular person in Dragon Gate inside of one building in Cork and Hall because he became that compelling of a figure. So having like a sing-along with him, like the crowd connection, it, it totally vibes. Up next, we've got the theme for the current Brave Gate champion and member of R.E.D. It's S.B. Kento, S.B.K., the former Kento Kabune, who debuted just a few years ago alongside Hip Hop Kakuda and Jackie Funky Kame. And he's already had quite the career, too. Uh, S.B.K.'s theme is by a band called Goodbye Mozart, this is called SBK. Run you! no surprise that a guy who loves chanting his own initials, SBK, has a theme that does that quite a lot here. <laughs> and it's a very a very ferocious song, I think. Uh, from the get-go, it grabs you right away with this big wall of noise, the screaming, the big guitars and synths. It never lets up. And it's a song that I think literally screams big deal. You know, pay attention to this guy. And this is his first proper singles theme of his career as well. So... For a guy who is, what, two years in, pretty much, to get a song like this from a band that is from his hometown, Nagoya, that says a lot. And it lines up with how he's been, you know, treated as well. You know, he's Brave Gate champion, he made have ended Dead or Alive this year, he ended the Toriyaman generation in that elimination tag last year, and again, he's only 21 and two years in. So it goes hand in hand there, Mike. Yeah, it, it's something that 
the overall kind of portrayal of SB Kento as soon as he was uh, drafted into RED, as soon as he went from his very brief uh, young boy phase into being SB Kento, like just becoming like seeing someone that was a teenager become like a total package in a way and like the deliberate care with him it's like oh he's going to become like such a star for us and that's always something that case and i like to talk about at one point we're like oh is he going to be a dreamgate champion before 2025 yeah no that's possible and then each each uh month that goes by where like it's not that we're readjusting the the goalposts outwards we're like focusing it more inwards it's like all right is he going to be the, the youngest Grand Slam company, a champion in company's history by the time of 2025? Yes. Do we think he might be a Dreamgate champion this time next year? Well, if he was two inches taller, he would already be it. And it just shows, like, deliberate care of this guy. And it's, as you said, like, it screams out, like, a big deal. He was the uh, the the big, like, in the RED versus Torimon uh, feud and in that match, like, as you mentioned, he ended the the Torimon generation, but it wasn't just ending it. Uh, he, on his side, accounted for four of the five eliminations of Torimon members. So beating people that were legitimately are of an age that to be his father, he was completely <laughs> dismantling them. And I, I think the thing that I really like about this theme is that you have, like, this very like brash and loud guttural like first like 45 seconds and then you hit a bridge and it's very kind of it, it, it you have like the drum fill going into it and he always enters when the drum fill ends and they kind of go into a pitch change and i like that part of that th- this theme so much it, this is this is something that like this was not a theme that i actually had a copy of until you gave me the files for this episode, and I was like, all right, I'm saving this one, making sure that I can load this onto all my devices, just because, like, I love that drum fill into the pitch change that always, that such a star at 21, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm coming in right as the drum fill happens into the pitch change, cutting, I'm busting through the entrance, I'm going to have my jacket with all the sponsors in the world on it. This kid just, no matter what, screams such a big deal that at 21, he... He has to wear entrance gear to get all the sponsors on it. And it's just, it's a total package for a guy who it was a total package that before the age of 21, before he could drink in the United States, he was very clearly the next guy, the guy that's going to be waving the flag going into the post-Torimon era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thankfully he takes less time to come out than Chris Hero used to do with Kryptonite, where it would just he would wait forever <laughs> for the chorus to kick in. It was just... Dave Prezak complaining on commentary about this, like being like you'd be able to like I, there was like one time it's like you could sc- I think he said it was either someone on IWA Mid South so that said that it was like you could scramble eggs by the time that you could have like scrambled eggs by the time that Chris Hero comes out. It's only about forty five seconds for SBK, but it does you know he stalls because he knows what's the moment to come out in this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the mark of a pro. You know, timing is everything, as they say. Um, now, as far as the lyrics here go, um, that's a tricky issue because there are no lyrics available online yet, and it's all in Japanese. And um, I did reach out to our good friend Jojo Remy to see if he could listen and figure out any lyrics or or the general gist of the song. Unfortunately, he came back with a big fat goose egg. Uh, he could not decipher any of this stuff. And, and I, don't, I don't blame him because... The music is quite overpowering, and the vocals are not the cleanest either, so I just have to assume it's something about SBK being cool and great, Mike. I don't know, because I got, I got nothing else there. Um, what about you? Any better luck than me? No, uh, my Japanese is very just 
I, I can pick up certain words. Like, I know red corner and blue corner. I, I've done Duolingo, Andrew. And oh. Let me tell you something. I am not someone that's very linguistically minded. I, I, I you, you went to the person that I would go to for this. Uh, the, 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 like, the one thing that, like, I did take a couple notes for this, and this was one of the things here. Is this reminiscent of PAX uh, Dragon Gate theme to you? Because it kind of feels that way to me. You know, I didn't think of that, but you mention it now, and I could sort of see some connections there. I, I think a very, very similar frantic energy between the two, for sure, and um, same kind of, you know, mix of kind of the cleaner vocals and some harsher screaming vocals throughout the song there, yeah. Um, I think Pac's theme is, is much more techno-based, of course, than this one, which is more, you know, kind of rock metal-y, I think. But, but yeah, I, I could see some connections there, for sure, Mike, yeah. It just was something that when listening to this on repeat, I was like, this reminds me of Welcome to the New Lo- New World by my favorite band name, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So it just was something that I was wondering if, if you saw the parallel there as well. No, I, I hadn't, but um, I do see it now, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, comparisons, by the way, um, often on this show, we'll compare a guy's theme to his contemporaries or his rivals, and SBK's main rival is another guy with three letters, JFK. No, not that one. The other one, uh, Jackie Funky Kame. Um, you compare their themes, and it's like night and day. We, you know, SBK's theme is this aggressive, menacing, kind of rock, metalcore kind of song. Jackie's theme is the most, like, saccharine bubblegum pop song ever you know jackie funky baby with the high-pitched vocals such polar opposites um as are their looks as are their units you know all that stuff really establishes this generational rivalry between the two of them which based on the two matches they've had so far for the brave gate it's going to be a damn fine rivalry going forward mike and it's kind of a special chemistry that you see within dragon gate that they like having like generational rivals that are kind of linked in so many different ways that they came into the dojo at the same day as teenagers. They shared bunk beds, and that was like a big point on SB Kento with one one of the most like dagger promos ever of I had the top bunk, you had the bottom bunk, you will always be looking up at me. And it's just like you have like SBK, who's his theme and his presentation was always kind of forward thinking like we know that this is the guy this is kind of the person going forward he is our supernova here and then you have then you have jackie funky kamei i'm a kamei guy i for, for when he debuted i was like there's something about takedo kamei that i just love and it, it it's something that like, seeing him kind of like now get his own theme which is by a japanese meme idol group which is like that's how saccharine it is andrew <laughs> a meme idol group did his theme and they got his name wrong there in the theme music and it because his name was originally funky, funky jackie, jackie kamei yeah yeah and, he, and him being, in comparison to Espy Kento, who believes that everyone should be chanting his name, as his theme music has, and as he'll stop matches to try to get people to clap along with him shouting out SPK, Jackie is a nice guy. He's a nice boy. He 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 heard that his theme had the, his name in the wrong order, and he was like, it would be presumptive of me as being so young I am to tell that this idol group that they got my name wrong. So I'm just going to change my name to what they say in the song. It works for me. It works for me. And I mean, the fact that you have Espy Kento, who's been so tied to like Eita, Ishida, people who are like his seniors that are, that, that are heels, that are rough and ready. They're manipulative and conniving. Whereas JFK, it, like there's a reason that he 
ended up in natural vibes and not just the fact that he is the cute boy that is very pleasant that Sasumi Akoska likes to post photos of that Japanese social media goes crazy whenever they see JFK infos. There's a lot of kawaii. There's a lot of the turtle emoji because his name uh, and the same kanji such as Hyo's was leopard. His was turtle. So his nickname for a while was Turtle Coon. But he's with KZ and Kiki Horiguchi because he's kind of one of the guys a lot like those two. So you you really do get to see like this generate like we're at the start of like this big generational rivalry that we got to see really develop at least on screen over the last like six weeks basically (laughs) and it's fascinating to see like this is going to be the story of their generation going forward it's going to be based around these two guys and you know if it's ever going to be a time where Kamei is not looking up at uh SBK if it's SBK then finally on the ground and Jackie gets the top bunk Mm -hmm. yeah I remember last year when I first started watching you know Kabune and Kame and Kakuda, like those three guys, I was like, wow, these three have got something special here for sure. I, I can see it already. And with Kame, it's funny. It's like this guy's a real screamer too. Like he he loves to yell, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> no indoor voice. No, no, <laughs> no. But but yeah, I'm looking forward to you know seeing how these guys develop even more going forward. And you know, as Joe and Rich said on the flagship a couple times, like get in on the ground floor with these guys now because. Who knows how far they'll go in the future, for sure. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, ah, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase 
by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Moving on now to another member of Masquerade. It's Seven Colors Suplex Kota Minoora. We are nicknamed, perhaps, but he's Jason Lee's tag partner and a former Twin Gate champion in his own right. And yet another young rising star in the company. One of many, it seems. Minoura's theme, uh, he currently uses the 2021 mix of it, but I don't have that one, so we'll play the older one here. This is, again, by Yohei. It's called Rise in Grace. Unfortunately, there is no cute name pun with this one. Um, and overall, I'd say it's a decent song, but I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, it's not bad. It's, it's fine. It has this nice driving rhythm to it, which is pretty cool. Um, but there's not much else to it, really. Um, although I guess, you know, it's notable that Yohei does both this theme and his partner Jason Lee's theme. That's something there. But um, besides that, there's not much else to sink your teeth into with this one, Mike, I don't think. Yeah, uh, and you did bring up like the one note that I had was the rhythm here. Up, uh, uh, here is some fun Dragon Gate trivia. Do you know what his what he was doing before he became a wrestler? Um, I do not know. What was it? He was in technical school to become a mechanic. Oh, okay. And the reason why I think that's so interesting is that you could almost hear like with the uh, beat and. Uh, not necessarily like the rhythm, but like other percussion, like almost hearing like metal clanging against metal, very mechanically kind of sounding <laughs> in a way. And, and that's really to me like like with you, like I'm with you. This is not out, out of the list here. I would say this is probably like my least favorite theme here. He he only <laughs> got it last year, and they're already revising it because I think they kind of know it stinks, maybe. But uh, I, I the fact that like he has like the seven color suplex name nickname because he has all these suplexes. But he also names all of his finishing maneuvers like somewhat mechanically minded, like Gong, which is German for gear, is one of his finishing moves. Engranaje, that engine. So like very mechanically minded. It's like you could kind of more have like more mechanically minded things, and I feel like that would work a lot more than seven color suplex. I'm sensing a gimmick change to a guy in overalls with an oily rag and a wrench and 
three stains all over him. I'm, I'm telling you, Mike, it could work. You know, mechanic Kota Minora, that there's something there. Yeah, maybe he can uh, get a uh, get into a tag team with uh, FTR Bald too. You know, I mean, there's there, there, there's some oh, likes yeah, some to mechanics. this. That's right. The yeah. mechanics, yeah. I forget. Who was the third? Who was the other mechanic other than Scott Dawson? It it wasn't Dax Har. It was Dax, but it wasn't Cash Wheeler. Try to think who the third mechanic was before that. I am at a total loss here. I, I don't even remember a third guy before Dash and Dawson or the Revival or whatever. I, I just know Dash and Dawson. Like, that's it, so. There was, like, this tag team where, if, like, this was, like, the Itali the French Stallion was their manager. Like, we're talking about early NXT days, I want to say. I, 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 I tried not to go to cage match on shows I'm guessing on, but this is going to bug me for a second. <laughs> I, I got it. it. I got it. Thank you, Wikipedia. The third guy was, get this, Chris Christopherson's son, Garrett Dillon. That's right. And they were managed by Sylvester Lafort. The French so style. There you go. You're, yeah. You were right, Mike. There you go. Jeez. I, I could have useful things in my brain, but instead, I, instead I'm remembering uh, NXT 2013 tag teams. That's a real deep cut there, man. I'm I'm supposed to be the computer, the AI, you know, among VOW, but that's a that's a real deep pull there, man. So good for you. <laughs> a two-time a uh, five-star match game winner. You know, I had to have I had to have useless trivia for whatever reason. Well, I'm a three-time champion, but hey, who, who's counting? Am I right, oh, folks? <laughs> Come oh, on now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> elbow nudge, elbow nudge, but uh, <laughs> teasing, of course. But um, but yeah, back to the song here. It is an instrumental, like Okuda's theme is, but it's not really cool or badass in tone. I mean, Minora is a great wrestler, and he's not trying to go for that badass fighter vibe himself. He's, again, similar to Jason Lee in that, you know, he's your standard, good-looking, affable, babyface go-getter. It's very appropriate for him. It just doesn't make for a very noteworthy theme, like, at least this version. Yeah, and it's something that, in a lot of ways, for a... For a guy, and this is another sickingly young person. I think he just turned twenty-two. Uh, he does not necessarily like have the personality that like SB Kento has. He does not have the big brain that Hio has. He's just a strong wrestler, and it, the, that's kind of like the interesting thing about him is after Dragon Gate went behind closed doors last year, and they did their entire King of Gate tournament in May and June behind closed doors, and then they came back and the first show back. Uh, he won a big match in the main event, and then he suddenly had a theme, and it was suddenly press and go, and it's he's still trying to kind of figure out that, and maybe why there is already a 2021 version of his theme is that they're still, still trying to figure out, like, just fleshing him out other than being an astounding young wrestler. Yeah, and I think the fact that there is that 2021 mix makes sense, because this was a big year for him in terms of being, you know, the runner-up and King of Gate, and main eventing against Yamato for the Dreamgate on a show. Like, those are two pretty big notches in the belt for a guy who is still very young and still pretty early in his career, you know? And much like SBK and much like other guys, you know, on the roster who are so young and, and so new, if he's already doing stuff like that at this point in his career, then, yeah, the company does hold him in pretty high regard, you know? And I can only imagine what he's going to do, you know, two, three, five years down the line, Mike. Yeah, and it, it's really fascinating. He's someone that if there is a breakout award for for Dragon Gate, and maybe you need to talk to Case about adding that to our awards list for VoiceGate, uh, it would clearly be him. After breaking out last year, he's taken the next step forward as well. And it, it's going to be fascinating to see because the, the Dragon Gate likes to kind of like seed their young guys. Like 
Kakuda, Hip Hop Kakuda, sadly, he had a freak injury in his uh, Dead or Alive match, but I mean, he was the quickest person ever to get a Dreamgate match, and he was 20 when that happened, and the, they like doing these things where it's like seeding things here, and it's kind of seeing where they how they bloom over the next few years, and you know, maybe the 2022 version of Rising Grace is when they're going to finally, you know, hit on gold there. I mean, they're mining away. They're in the factory of Minenora. Minenora is going to try to find other languages to make uh, mechanically sounded names work. And maybe maybe what they need to have is have like almost like the uh, Steven Regal real man's man driving beat here. Ah. Is, you know, just go wearily into it. Put in some car horns, some engine noises. We'll we'll have some gold in our hands there for sure, Mike. Come on, man. Let's let's go all the way with it, baby. <laughs> hey, they've tried having car gimmicks in, in the Dragon System before. Maybe this is time to bring back Los Carlos Exoticos. <laughs> Maybe he is the last exotic car. But, uh, but I would say Coda Maybach, but we already have Maybach Tanaguchi. That, that, that's too recent there, and Dragon Gate fans actually know of Noah. So maybe... Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm trying to think of cars I've driven in Forza Horizon, and I'm not coming up with one. But I think we should really go all in on the car-based Kota Minora gimmick, though. Kota Mitsubishi, perhaps. There, there's a name right there for you. Hey, he could then start using the Triangle Lancer, like the Mitsubishi Lancer. I, I yeah. think that's it. I, th- I think we found it. You, you nailed it. I, I'm telling you, when you put your minds together, you workshop it out. Things get done, Mike, and we got it done. We're in the garage here, you know. We'll oh, make yeah. sure that oh, yeah. this car gets the results. Definitely. Theme number eight, and this is for a tag team, Ricky and Ishin, the Ihashi brothers. Uh, these guys debuted earlier this year, actually, and they are called Thoroughbred Wrestlers because both of their parents were pro wrestlers themselves. Their dad is Ishin Riki Koji, who was also a sumo wrestler, and their mom is Utako Huzumi, a Joshi wrestler. And actually, their theme is by John Underdown featuring... Ishinriki Koji, and Otaka Hozumi. Their parents are on their theme. How about that? And appropriately, this is called Brothers. brothers they're not just second gen wrestlers they're thoroughbreds so they reference both of their parents a ton their names obviously um their ring gear is pink and black and ishin comes out with the feather boa and the fan that his mom had uh, they do some of their parents moves and this theme song is super referential because it has the parents on it of course it has the sumo wooden blocks at the beginning uh, and Ishiriki Koji says, 
Dosukoi, which is a sumo expression, Utako sings the chorus, and the song itself is mainly based on her entrance theme, which is from the club Juliana's Tokyo, which is what she based her gimmick on. So this whole act is one big multi-layer cake of references, Mike, and the song, I gotta say, it's pretty damn great too. Yeah, this is probably the best new song that they've had this year, I would say. And it all like fits in the vibe that these are large adult sons. Like everything <laughs> about them is that they are the large adult sons of pro wrestling. Uh, they they debuted at Dangerous Gate, which is something that Dragon Gate usually has you debut at, at a Kobe show or in Tokyo. Or recently, if they if they're coming to your hometown, and they want to build up that region. You'll come out there too. But the fact that they are from Tokyo, but like usually you, you debut at Corkin, not at Oda City Gymnasium. They're a big deal, and they got a lot of press coverage about the fact that they are thoroughbreds. They are, at least by modern standards, the first ever like thoroughbred pro wrestlers in Japan. Like that's happened a lot in the West and in Europe and in Mexico, but in Japan, it's just they are the first ones because usually you'd have either with the Joshi wrestler, like they will retire young and start a family. You wouldn't necessarily have the daughter or son of a Joshi get into wrestling. And then the kind of like, you'll see a lot more sons of former male professional wrestlers, but you don't really necessarily see that unless we're going to get Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto have, if their kids are going to enter the ring. But these guys beat them to the punch. John over Odin under down is kind of like their go-to for if they ever want to have just, just like a native English speaker doing lyrics that this song I do like a lot more than blow them away, which the tri Vanguard theme that he did that really felt straight out of Sonic adventure too. this <laughs> yeah. one, you know, you have the driving beat from uh, Juliana uh, Hozumi, and I just I love this group. I love this act. They're, they they've really been very careful about this 2021 class. They are referred to as the future class because they all started wrestling on these future matches. And these two guys were the first ones out of the gate, and they were they, they put them in big matches against people that had uh, just like relationships with. Their dad, Don Fuji, was in WAR, working at WAR, not wrestling at WAR, but working the same time that Ishinriki was there. Uh, a, a fun fact that I, I like looking up their dad. Uh, he is the one of the smallest uh, Rikishi of all time. He, is, he was not a big guy, but he was known as being one of the more muscular ones. So, you know, it makes sense if you look at, especially Riki, like you look at his body, if it's for him. And, you know, I mean, this is just a big, giant cake of references about being large adult sons. Definitely. I mean, just look at the English lyrics. They reference Alcatraz, which is their dad's finisher. Um, just can't help her born this way. Blood of champions in our veins. It's right there, you know. And the Japanese lyrics by their mom in the chorus. Again, I asked Jojo if he could decipher anything. And he told me that the chorus references Brother's Journey. And the rest of the song is like... Here we go. We're on the attack. Never going to stop. So, yeah, they are really leaning into the whole second generation, it's our time now thing, which we've seen plenty and plenty and plenty of times before with many a second-gen wrestler. I mean, Hook just debuted a few days ago in AEW, but I can't really think of any examples where you have both of the parents singing about their kids on the song. Like, that's a whole new level right there. 
Yeah, I can't imagine Taz just spinning bars of action, Bronson. He would try, but no, <laughs> I don't think it would get the intended effect that you know uh, Ataka Hozumi or Ishan Enrique Koji does. Like, it, it, it's very wholesome in a way. Like, the, the the parents go to all the shows in Tokyo <laughs> to go see their sons get their ass kicked. You know, it's it's very it, it's very wholesome. Like I say, they're large adult sons, but I don't mean that purely in jest. That is who they are, and it's it's very kind of heartwarming in a way. And it's something that at least like it's hard to say where their career might go like eventually one would think that one would turn on the other like dragon gate is all about betrayal but you kind of want to cheer for the brothers you kind of want them you know stick it together you know win the twin gates lock in alcatraz get the title for their parents and then just have like the nice moment of just being the dutiful sons like succeeding at their job it would be nice it would be nice yeah um we touched upon this with sbk but these guys had this theme ready to go for them for their first proper match. So it's not like in New Japan where the Young Lions have the Young Lions theme for their first few years. No, this is their song hyping them up from match number one. So it's pretty obvious that the company, you know, looks at these guys as something more than just your typical rookies and that they're putting stock in them long term, which, you know, hey, why not? I mean, from what we've seen so far, you know, these guys have got that spark in them for sure, Mike. Yeah, and it's kind of like the difference I would say really between Dragon Gate and New Japan. New Japan, I mean, you'll have people that just stay in that phase for years, whereas SB Kento won a title within the first year. Uh, Kakuda was main eventing a big show. And the Hashi Brothers, I mean, even in comparison to the rest of their class, they're the only ones with the theme so far. So, like, they Dragon Gate knows, like, okay, these folks are going to be special, like, out the gates. We should go with them. And... It, it, it's just like showing that they are already a total package. They're a little bit older than like SB Kento and Takedo Kame and Hip Hop Kakuda. I think Riki just turned 26. Ishin's 24. Riki was a former, he was in the military, which, you know, you look at his body and you're like, okay, that's a guy that, you know, has done some stuff and was in the military. Ishin is a, I don't know if he has like all the certification, but he was in nursing school and he worked as a nurse for a nurse's aide for a while. Hmm. And it, it, it's all very fascinating to me. Like the more I find out about this family, the more I'm kind of drawn towards them. I didn't know about the nurse thing. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, just looking at these guys and the other rookies, you know, it's crazy to me just how Dragon Gate, like, like an Irish Catholic family, they keep pumping out these kids one after the other. It's, it's insane. They've got like six new guys now this year alone between the Hashi brothers, Fujiwara, Hayakawa, Fuda, Shoya. And typically with these big rookie classes, they're not all going to be megastars, obviously. But in the ring, they all seem pretty capable, you know, in their own right, at least in terms of basics and fundamentals and all that stuff. So... That's pretty cool. And and remember, we're not that far removed from the SBK Jackie Kakuda class or the Minora Daya class either. Like, it's amazing just seeing all these multiple generations of young guys, one after the other, similar to AEW in that sense too, actually. So the future, I think, is very, very bright for this company, Mike. And it's something that they pump out these kids, and it's it's great to see, but it's also a matter of necessity. Uh, Masato Yoshino... Is, I, as I like to say, he's not the first one that we're going to be saying goodbye to in a short period of time. Like, like the, the, the way that they present these guys and the way that these guys are already capable is fundamental for the health of Dragon Gate going forward as they go through this generational shift. So being able to do this, and I think at one time, 
I have not heard what the current intake was from 2021, but before 2020, it, it's not that they have, basically what I'm saying is it's not that they have lack standards. It is that if you pass the test, you can go to the dojo. There's not the uh, silly height or weight uh, requirement that other dojo systems have. If you're at the, I think the only requirement now really is age. Like as long as you're not like showing up at like 40 and trying to do this, they will give you a shot here. And if you pass, you pass. Like at one point they had a dozen people in the dojo <laughs> this last year, which if you compare that to any other promotion in Japan, it's ludicrous. And it's something that they have to do because they know that, you know, uh, Ryo Saito is taking the step back and is staying on screen. Masato Yoshino retired. Uh, Ultimo Dragon will wrestle until the day he's done. Like, like he's not going to retire. That's a man who he has he has finer tastes and he has a lot of stuff he likes to do and he knows that he can make a lot of money. So Ultimo is <laughs> going to keep on going. But that's not to say like you're like, like Sachihoko boy is someone that you know probably like he, there's less days in front of him in a wrestling ring than behind them. So it's important to get this. I think it's. 15 people since 2016 have debuted in this promotion, Oof. which is insane. Oof. That, that, that's basically an, its own brand. That's like an entire list of WWE releases right there, pretty much. Yes. <laughs> the, 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 that would be kind of a, a funny way to start measuring things. Like, how much of this is like a release, uh, like an amount of release? And it's like, well, Dragon Gate this year, uh, they debuted about a half of a WWE release. And since 2015, they've debuted a full WWE release and <laughs> who knows how many kids are going to come out next year because they're putting six out this year then 2022 if, if they show up with like a dozen kids that's when I throw my hands up I'm like how am I supposed to cover this at that point just change the name of the company to Dragon Gate Daycare at this point because just all these kids running around and Rio Saito's there like your guess is as good as mine folks just <laughs> shrugging to the camera <laughs> well he was playing a middle school vice principal for a while so if anyone's going to wrangle the kids it's going to be him <laughs> so the second to last theme here and it's time to scum this bad boy up mike because it's time to play the theme for kai kai a member of red the king of house of glory as mike has dubbed him and also the next dream gate challenger for yamato because that feud just won't goddamn die uh, Kai's theme is by Katamali. It's called Medio Drive. So I can't say that I'm the biggest Kai fan in the world, but I'm not going to lie, Mike, this song rules. It is a heavy banger. Emphasis on heavy, because between the pounding riffs, the fast-paced solos, and the oi vocals, this thing goes hard to the paint. 
especially towards the end where it just gets so frantic and crazy and wild with it. I love this song a lot, Mike. Even though I do tend to waver in how much I enjoy Kai in the Ring, this song always gets two thumbs up from me, Mike. Yeah, yeah, Kai frustrates me. <laughs> this is the very least. I love his character. I, when he turned heel, and funny enough, they kind of tipped the hand that he was going to heal because he came out to this theme for the first time at Dangerous Gate 2020, the day he turned on Yamato and brought us into this mess, this hell, this uh, existential nightmare that is the never-ending Yamato and Kai theme. But the theme rocks. Like I love like the like guitar whale on it and then it's just it's very scummy it very much fits him it, it's something that he takes his time going down in the ring he'll lay down and spread his legs in the air and just just be an asshole and it and this theme kind of shows someone who is a asshole and it fits him it's just it's very hard for me to separate my my tiredness of Yamato and Kai with my genuine enjoyment of the theme because th- I, I really like this thing like this theme fits him like a glove yeah, definitely. I mean, I mentioned earlier with Okuda's theme that his song goes pretty heavy, but there's a tone of respect and honor with it. Not the case with this one at all. I mean, you mentioned that recurring riff. There's something so sleazy and slimy and underhanded about that that sound, that, that riff. And Kai is just the quintessential sleazy, slimy, underhanded douchebag. I mean, the song is called Meteo Drive. You can just picture Kai smoking a cigarette and driving 90 down the freeway to this song. It's it's perfect, Mike. Yeah, and it also fits like like Overdrive, the Mirage for Ata. Whereas I still think, and they still haven't talked to us about this. He still needs to have the the Outrun style T-shirt with this. You can see him shotgun, probably drinking beer, which you should not do. Do not drink in the car. Just chain smoking, throwing the cans outside of the car while you. Well, I, I like to think that Eita is driving like a the classic uh, DeLorean or maybe like a old uh, Civic from like uh, like Initial D, like a good drifting car. Whereas you have Kai there like switching with the radio, fiddling with the air conditioner and just like just being miserable, chain smoking and making whoever is in the backseat hate their life. <laughs> Definitely. And you mentioned the entrance too. like he takes forever to do the entrance where he slowly comes out with that big grin on his face and does the pose on the floor and all that. It, it, it takes so long and it should be annoying, but because the song is such a banger, I don't mind it really. When he's in the ring, eh, it's a different story, I think, but you know, <laughs> but with this song, I'm glad he's smoking it for all it's worth, Mike. Hey, he, it took him a couple of years. He got theme music and by God, we're going to hear as much of it as possible. Maybe that's why he is in this endless view because they had Katamali do the theme. That's not a usual act to do a Dragon Gate theme and they're getting their money's worth. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, talking about like unusual, you know, Kai's career itself has been quite interesting, I think, because he started out as a junior in all Japan and then he jumped to Wrestle 1 and became an Onito clone in the jeans uh, then he went freelance and went back to All Japan. Mike, you saw him in House of Glory of all places, Mania Weekend, a few years ago. And now he's in Dragon Gate as a featured heel. So it's it's been a very strange trip for Kai these past number of years, Mike. Yeah, it, it's not... Those All Japan guys, because you also have, like, Seiya Sonata 
like Sonata in the same vein. Like they bounced around so much, and like him like showing up to WrestleMania week in in New York in 2019, and just like the only show he was doing was House of Glory. We were already going to go to House of Glory, and just seeing him there and him just being unhappy that people knew who he was. Like he's like, <laughs> yes, I'm doing this date. I'm doing a favor to Mudo. Please don't act like you know who I am. He's just it, it's fascinating. Like he's someone that. He probably would never do this. I don't know, but I would be surprised. But sitting down and talking with him, it's like, so let's talk about your career. Your career has gotten into some wild places. Like he was in Dragon Gate for a while, didn't really fit in to Dragon Gate the same way that like, Kazuma Sakamoto, as soon as he got the uh, timing down, was excellent. He it was, It's always been a struggle with Kai. It's always been like he's always looked like he doesn't belong. And the fact that I think he's kind of playing on that now kind of works, but it's also something that's very hard separating art and the artist in a way and figuring just making sense of Kai, just figuring him out. Yeah. But you know what? Like, despite my feelings about Kai in the ring right now, I think back, this guy had a match of the year contender against Kento Miyahara a few years ago for the Triple Crown. And he had some great matches against Kenny Omega back in All Japan, too. Like, nowadays, yeah, I'm kind of whatever about Kai in the ring, but, like, he's had some proper bangers in the past. So, the guy, yeah, he's he's very much an enigma in a lot of ways, Mike. Yeah, I I forgot about the Miyahara match. Yeah, this guy's weird. I can't make sense of him. I want to make sense of him, but I haven't. I'm not capable of. We need to talk to Kai and be like, dude, what's the deal with you? Why are you the way you are? <laughs> A question for the ages, if ever there was one, for sure. Um, Okay, time now for the final wrestler of the list here, and we've saved the heaviest hitter for last. It's the legend, the icon, the former Hollywood stalker Ichikawa. He's Konomama Ichikawa. But he'll always be stalker in my heart, Mike, no matter what. Yeah, I it, I find myself slipping and calling him Stalker Ichikawa all the time. It, it, I mean, he's even been just Ichikawa in capital letters before, but he, he's always going to be Stalker. Same, same, yeah. And Stalker is a Toriyaman slash DG legend, multiple-time Royal Samba winner as well. And his theme, I, I can't find any specific artist credited to it, unfortunately, but it's a very recognizable song. It's Fate, William Tell Overture. So this song is genius on a few different levels. Um, first of which, you have two famous classical works in this theme. First one is, of course, the fate motif from Beethoven's Fifth. Dun 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 dun. That motif is shorthand for 
something dramatic is happening, something serious is coming, be wary. And then you have the William Tell Overture, which was used as the Lone Ranger theme famously, and when it was written, it was meant to symbolize the triumph of the Swiss army against the Austrians. So these two pieces are meant to convey seriousness, drama, triumph, heroism, victory, which does not apply at all to Sakura Ichikawa. He is none of those things. He is a comedy wrestler who almost always loses in quick and humiliating fashion. So him having a theme song that is the polar opposite of who he is is a tremendous bit of comedy, Mike. Yeah, and it even kind of plays off of that, like, he is an annoying gnat, and you do kind of get, like this. it's not like the uh, Barber Seville or anything like that, but it's something that, you know, he, when you hear this, you're like, oh, you think that, like, especially like Beethoven and William Tell Overture, you're thinking of, like, something epic's about to happen, and instead you have, like, the most epically bad wrestler of all time. Like, that that's who he is. He's the weak, for the longest time, his nickname was the world's weakest pro wrestler, and so you, you hear this, and you're like, oh, something big's gonna happen. No, instead you're just gonna be annoyed by a guy who was most known for a while in Dragon Gate for being the, the only person in the company to suffer a divorce and having his ex-wife bail him out of bad situations. That's that's a bad set of breaks right there, I can't lie. <laughs> He's just a loser, and it works. Uh, it does, it does, yeah. But with this song, you know, there, there's a fun bit of trickery here, too, because the fate motif is all serious and dire, and you expect the music to follow to go along with that, too, but... Then it switches to the William Tell Overture, which it's a lot more whimsical and light and fluttery. Meanwhile, you have Stalker Ichikawa, who looks like this weird, evil devil man with the pitchfork and the ears, and he's all, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> and then he gets in the ring, and that's when you get the turn. And he's actually just this comedy goofball loser. So it's it's a nice little parallel there, Mike, for sure. Yeah, and it's something that you brought up like the, the the demon aspect. His original gimmick was that he was a demon that embodied the Fuji TV building. Like that's what his gimmick <laughs> was, and, it's, and 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 now it's just kind of turned into just. It's very hard to like explain Sakura <laughs> Chikawa without like just showing like a slideshow of this is the time he got his ass kicked. He got, he got his ass kicked here. He hit his German suplex, but he still got his ass kicked. And it's it, it's one of those things that like. I sincerely believe that, with the exception of Ebison and uh, Kunishibo Kamen and the recently uh, passed Super Porky, he is one of the best comedy wrestlers of all time. He is someone that, when I know that he's in a match, my my eyebrows raise. I'm like, all right, we're going to see what he does here. And if it's him facing Hongman Choi in an overly long match at Kobe World <laughs> or if it's his random, that, like, yeah. the, the fact that he was unbeatable in Royal Sambo Battle Royals for, like, five months and no one could no one could beat the Ichikawa. Who could stop the Ichikawa? There's nothing boring. You would think, like, the idea of someone being, like, a loser would be a boring character. But instead, he's kind of developed over the 23 years he's wrestled, like, this really rich tapestry of just of how bad he is. One of my hardest laughs while watching wrestling recently is um, they were doing one of their Royal Sambos, which, for those that don't know, it's their version of the Rumble, pretty much. And there are three guys left, two in the ring, and one still waiting to come out. And the ring announcer is doing the countdown for the last guy, and the two guys in the ring both go over the top and are eliminated. And when the countdown ends, 
what do we hear but dun 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 and out comes stalker he gets in the ring the bell rings immediately and he's like i won i I guess I won. Like it's, it's the most stalker Ichikawa victory ever. Where he doesn't actually do anything to win the match, but he still wins the match. It's it's so perfect, Mike, and so funny. Yeah, they really found every way to subvert the expectations of a battle royal during the who can stop Ichikawa thing. Because there was the one where everyone got eliminated. There was the one that somehow there was like five people in the ring. Four of them got eliminated, and Ichikawa was on the outside rolling through the ropes, and he just rolled back in the ring. It's like, well, we guess he won. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> it's fascinating. It, it, it's something that's so simple, but he's found ways over the years to just innovate, like the innovate doing comedy in a way that it's always, he always finds something new to bring to the table, which is, I think, is an issue with a lot of comedy wrestlers that they will go do the same tropes or they'll rely on bad tropes, but instead, there is a core concept with, with Hollywood Soccer Chikawa. He is a bad pro wrestler, and he's found new ways, like having a randomly challenging uh, Naramuchi Marafuji to a mask match and losing the mask, and then trying to beg for his mask back, and then deciding, well, I'm putting the mask back on anyways. It's just fascinating. Yeah, but like they still managed to surprise us with it, though, because I remember last year for the R.E.D. versus Toriyaman elimination match. It was towards the end where it's down to Dragon Kid and SBK, and Kid is in dire straits. He needs help. Uh, shenanigans ensue. Guys start running in, and all the Torimon guys at ringside, they do that thing where they do the corner attack spot on SBK, one after the other. Stalker is the last guy to do it. He charges at him, and of course, SBK gets the boot up and stops him. And you hear the clap crowd be like, aww, because... It's Stalker. He's a big loser. Of course he's going to fail at that. But then, SBK charges at Stalker. Stalker ducks and hits the Ina Bauer German, his finishing move, which he never, ever, ever hits to help, like, give Dragon Kid time to rally. And I'm in my bedroom late at night just hooting and hollering like, Stalker, you beautiful bastard, you did it, you helped save the goddamn day, DK, let's win this motherfucker, come on, let's go, baby, and it's like, it's wonderful, because if Stalker wasn't such a massive putz, that moment would not have had the same impact at all, Mike, it was beautiful. Yeah, and that's the magic of him, is that he'll go, like, through these stretches throughout his career, where, like, he'll go get his ass kicked, and and for a while it was... The, there was the Hollywood Stalker Chikawa retirement series where like he was teasing retirement. It was like a 50-match series. <laughs> and, and that's how he picked up the Hollywood name was because he went with them in pre-DGUSA days. They did a Dragon Gate show in Los Angeles, and he did a match there. He did like a match at a PWG show versus Necro Butcher as a part of the series. And he was like, oh, I've been in Hollywood. Now I'm in Hollywood. I can't retire now because now I've gone to Hollywood. And you're just like... Of course, man, you do this. And he, he comes off like such a loser. Then he, And then in the match, he, like, stems the tide by, like, doing this, like, gets uh, Dragon Kid, like, a gasp of air to get him back into the match because he somehow summons the energy and summons, like, picks the right time to do the Ina Bauer. And everyone gets on their feet when this happens because they've because he spent, like, 23 years just being worthless and just showing glimmers of hope. And, 
boy, it's something magical when someone's career is known as being a loser and he's able to do like these small things that like immediately invest you in it. Right. As as Willy Wonka once said, so shines a good deed in a weary world. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mad. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Mike, as always, thank you so much for being here. An absolute delight talking to you again about Dragon Gate themes. And I'm sure the next time you're on in the future, we'll have even more fun and hijinks with some more DG themes. So thank you again, my friend. Oh, absolutely. This is so much fun uh you can follow me on twitter at fujiheya open the voice gate is on the voices of wrestling podcast network that is case low and i i would argue to say that we are the leading uh critics and news bringers of dragon gate amongst international fans we've been doing this for five years now and then also you could listen to my other show uh everything elite if you go to at everything elite or Linktree, everything AEW, you can find that there. And we have everything attached to that there. Thanks again, Andrew, for having me. It was such a blast. Oh, it's always so much fun. Definitely, definitely. And um, it's funny. I remember when Everything Elite went independent, uh, Aaron Bentley in the Slack chat was like, All right, guys, I'm leaving. Thanks so much. It's been fun. And everybody was like, Oh, good luck, Aaron. Bye. Best of luck with you. And. You chimed in immediately. Don't worry, guys. I'm still part of the crew with VoiceGate. I'm still here. Don't worry. So I'm, I'm glad you're still part of VUW in some way, Mike. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Music of the Met is, of course, also part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, just like Open the VoiceGate is. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Met. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Mike, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. All right, for Mike Spears, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Crash down me No one showed up to rescue me All I've got just to make it through Morning comes Nothing changes to the death sea I'm the maker of destiny Going straight to the top Never stop if you want it It's so Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.